It's been over 400 years and the calluses still remain. Over 400 years of white-knuckled rebellion. Frustrated because you can't free yourselves and beat down because you don't have the strength to break them on your own. This is slavery. The Israelites, God's chosen people, who should have obeyed and followed God, continually found themselves in enslaved, chained, calloused hands, white-knuckled despair. This is the narrative of the Old Testament. God's people wanted God to rule and reign over them, but then they became so jealous of other nations who had their own leader. Leaving God meant they didn't have to worry about religious guilt trips because now they could do whatever they wanted. And so they left God. For every freedom they thought they would enjoy, it became a self-imprisonment, one link at a time, connecting with other links to form a lengthy and weighty self-imposed chain. The chains would wrap around their legs of rebellion and pull back their arms of self-governing autonomy. Before they came to their senses, their very hearts had been locked up and imprisoned from the God they said they so desperately needed. This continues throughout generations. It was so engraved in their family of origin, they didn't know how to be anything else but enslaved. God tells his people in Isaiah 30, Because you have rejected this message, relied on oppression, and depended on deceit, this sin will become for you like a high wall, cracked and bulging, that collapses suddenly in an instant. In repentance and rest is your salvation, in quietness and trust is your strength, but you would have none of it. When you walked into the worship center, you received a key. Place the key in the palm of your hand. As tightly as you can, form a fist and clench your key. Can you imagine the hope an Israelite would have had if he had just had the key that would free himself? What about you? If the key you hold in your hand could free you, would you use it? Would you unlock all of your pain and unresolved tension in your relationships? Would you do it if it took away the pain of losing a loved one? Would you do it if it calmed all of your anxieties? Would you do it? Do you want to be free? What does your key represent to you? Do you want to be free? Telling somebody to just unlock themselves isn't easy. It's easy to say. It's a lot harder to do. When I lived in Illinois before moving to the land of promise, New England, uh, I met... I met Carol and Jeff. Uh, Carol and Jeff were great. Jeff was ornery, and Carol was the life of the party, right? <laughs> Typical couple. And, uh, and Carol had a pretty uh, uh, tedious job. Uh, in Peoria, she worked for the Center of Prevention of Abuse. And she worked with the men that preferred hitting their spouses instead of hugging them. 
And, and she, Kara was hosting a seminar on breaking the cycle of abuse, and she invited me to be a part of it. And, and one of the things that she said that I'll never forget, she said, it takes uh, women in particular, particularly seven to ten times to leave their abuser coming and going, coming and going before they finally leave for the last time. But it's so easy for us, right? When we're receiving hugs at home, our, 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 it's so easy for us to just say, well, why don't you just leave the jerk? Well, you can stay with me. I'll help with any bills. Why don't I just leave the guy? It's a lot harder to leave a toxic relationship than we think, isn't it? Whether it's extreme, as the example I just gave you, or the one that you're currently in, that you're like, is this really what healthy people do? I came in, across an article about two weeks ago that said uh, in 2017, New Hampshire is leading, not a great thing to be known for, the opioid epidemic. I'm from Cincinnati, and it's literally, because people say literally a lot, and they don't know what it means, it's literally killing Cincinnati. I found this stat to be um, appalling and overwhelming and humbling. In 2017, there were 424 drug overdose deaths involving opioids in New Hampshire at an age-adjusted rate of 34 deaths per every 100,000 people. This was more than twice the average national rate of 14.6 deaths for every 100 persons. It's a lot easy, isn't it, just to tell someone, why don't you just stop shooting up? Stop self-medicating with three Bud Light beers just to calm yourself down so you can deal with your spouse or your kids. It's a lot easier to say that, isn't it, than it actually is to do it. Our, our greatest uh, Pharaoh, if you're not familiar with the Bible, our greatest God in America, it's a female. Her name's Sally Mae. And her friends are Visa, MasterCard, and American Express. The average, I don't believe this because it's too low, but according to NerdWallet, I don't know if that's legit, but I'm going with it and you're here, so here we go. According to NerdWallet, the average household income schleps around, moves, and grooves about $7,000 of credit card debt, just credit card debt. And I'm like, that ah, seems kind of low. Uh, from month to month. Here's the deal. Of those people that are in debt, <laughs> 9% of all Americans, which is a lot, believe they've already made up their mind in their head and they've made up their will in their heart that they will never be debt free. That, that they are, <laughs> people tell me like paycheck to paycheck. I'm like, uh, what about pre-paycheck to pre-paycheck, right? It's a lot easier to tell a friend, like, stop <clears throat> using retail therapy to cope through your depression or your kids or this or that. Can I tell you, it's really hard to walk away from retail therapy. Like when Amazon can deliver whatever you want in like 48 hours, we're such an on-demand subscription-based economy that you can literally have whatever you want within 24 to 48 hours. It's easy to tell people, why don't you just stop doing that? And so you have a key in your hand, to which if I were to ask you and unpack your sin or something that someone has done to you, why won't you just stop doing it? You'd be like, man, you're like really judgmental. Here's the deal. If you had a key in your hand, would you choose to unlock it? And the answer is no. 
And the reason why it's no is because a lot of people think that I'm too much of a scientist to be a Christian or I'm too intelligent or whatever. Jesus said to the Pharisees, why are your hearts stubborn? Wait a minute, what? People think with their brains, not their heart, Jesus. Ah, But to a first century Jew, the heart was where we made intellectual decisions and also decisions of the will. Because how many of us, like you're all looking at me like, who's the weirdo in chains? But how many of us <laughs> feel like this emotionally? How many of us feel like this because we just went through a divorce in the last year or two? And you don't know it, but you're about to go through a divorce this year or experience a really overwhelming pain. You see, freed people or people that are enslaved don't know what it's like to be free because, my goodness, if we have to forgive the person that we've been angry with, then what position are they to us in our relationships? Like, you mean I got to forgive them? Like all the, the trauma and the PS, uh, PTSD they gave me as a child? Like I have to be nice to my boss? You see, sometimes we don't want to unlock our chains because it's not that we're not intelligent, it's that we're willful, rebellious, depressed, and we do really don't know what happens if we hand this over to a God who claims to rise from the dead. See, Paul says it like this in Romans 7.15. Now, Paul, if you're new to church, Paul's a pastor. He's an entrepreneur. Paul's the reason why, through his church planning, the gospel spread throughout Europe. And this is what he said. So this is a preacher's perspective, okay? A preacher's perspective of what it means to work with people and to be human. He says, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I don't do it. How many, that's so true of me, but what I hate to do. Paul says, I know cognitively, right? We don't have time to get into it, but Paul was one of the most highly educated men in the first century. A Jewish rabbi named Gamaliel put him under his wing and he knew the Old Testament, the Torah, inside and out. And yet he says in one of his letters that's in the Bible, right? I often do what I don't want to do, and I hate it, and I often regret it. It's not a decision of the mind that makes me want to or not want to unlock my chains. It's, it's a decision of the will, and I find myself very comfortable staying in prison in my own rebellion. And so I do actually what I hate, and it's this big, vicious cycle of abuse you don't have to be religious today to know what I'm talking about. Paul is just talking about what it means to be human. And so where does freedom come from? Well, if you've been with us, we, we, we've explored some options. Maybe, maybe, freedom, maybe freedom comes from having more options. If I could just have more money or do more friends, travel more. But we know if you're in marketing, right? Take your kids shopping for boyfriend jeans at American Eagle, the more options we have, our brain doesn't multiply, it actually divides. And so our brains can't really think well when we have too many options to choose from. That's why <laughs> uh, amazing people like my wife, who are graphic designers, fight tooth and nail to keep uh, artistic uh, graphics simple and to the point. But, but what about this? Okay, so, okay so, so more options. I can just go do whatever I want. Usually that ends up in regret, sin, hurt, things that we've done, things that other, other people have done to us. But what about this? Maybe freedom comes from 
uh, not uh, more options, but maybe more restrictions. You know these religious people? They've got like one YouTube channel and 10 friends. And, and by that, I mean, I'm going to go to church every Sunday. I'm going to read my Bible. Forget giving 10%. I'm going to give 90% and live off of the 10. If that's you, I want to buy you lunch uh, this afternoon. Uh, don't give me the check. I'll spend it. Probably on Amazon stuff, right? And so we think like, oh, I'm not going to be like, what, my spouse, my kids, my relative that destroyed their life. I'm going to hide behind religion and hide from God there. And so I'm not going to live and end up on a late night HBO show. (laughs) Uh, I'm actually going to be really religious. And the stuff I'm going to do is going to make God so proud that he's just going to have to give me a standing O and a 10 when I get to heaven of how good I was. But the gospel is not for, um, the gospel does not allow sinners and good people to go to heaven. The gospel allows Jesus followers to go to heaven. And this is how Paul says it in Galatians 4.3. That's why it is with us before Christ came. So before you're a Christian, Paul's saying this is how humanity thinks about their current reality. We were like little children. We were slaves to the basic spiritual direction of this world, right? Either A, freedom comes from more options. I'm going to go do whatever I want, have a midlife crisis, cheat on my wife, buy a car, do something. Or I'm going to bury myself in religion and hide behind, good morning, happy Easter, it's good to see you. And then just do whatever I want throughout the week. So where does freedom actually come from? Well, freedom doesn't come from being bad or from doing bad things or actually being good people. So where does it come from? Well, let me give you three things to think about, three takeaways. Number one is our freedom to live is actually, it's kind of weird, it's not very American, but it's found in our death. In Galatians 6, 14, Paul says, May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the most, he's a, Paul's a wealthy man, highly educated, and yet look at how humble he is. Uh, I don't want to boast except for the cross of Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me, and I to the world, neither circumcision nor un- uncircumcision. So being religious is not going to save me, is basically what he's saying. Uh, what counts is the new creation, the work that Christ is doing in me. And then he says, peace and mercy to all who follow this rule, to the Israel of God. Now, it's kind of weird that Paul would say, I'm going to use the image of a cross, which is what we've used for the set design for this series, as a total assault on how most Americans live their life. Because the writers of the scriptures would say, freedom is actually found in our death. That's kind of weird, right? Because the cross was the first century invention of capital punishment, right? No one's wearing a syringe around their neck in 2019. That's kind of weird. But you see, the cross was incredibly offensive. The, the Persians created the crucifixion, but the Romans get all the credit because they're just brutal with the creativity of the way they slaughtered people. And, and the Greeks, they loved their body. They're very sensual people. And yet they were disgusted when one of their own was crucified for what it did to the body. And even the Jews, God's people, his homies from Old Testament to New Testament, believed that if someone ended up on a cross, they were cursed by God. And yet this is the imagery that Paul uses. It's that not that we would become more sinful and more religious, is that we would walk to the end of ourselves. 
When a man, or a woman, but usually a man, was convicted of a crime, he was beaten and flogged. I know there's kids in the room. I'm not going to go there, okay? Not today. But when the cross hit his shoulder, there was one reality he knew for sure, that death was inevitable. And that 2,000 feet walk from the beating, the flogging to where Jesus died is this photo. It's called the Via Della Rosa. And it means the way of suffering. We have another photo of what it looks like in modern, modern day. You see, for Jesus and for us, our ability to live free is if we're willing to take that walk. If we're willing to take that next step. And Jesus promises us that he'll be there with us. And just because you become a Christian or your chains are gone doesn't mean you're going to get rich or be happy or good-looking. Most of you are good-looking here. or ha- Have a preferred future. What it means is that your, your status is you're a child of God. You're, you're saved. And so many people want to make Christianity about not doing sin or doing really good religious things. And Jesus is like, I'm just going to invite you to take a walk with me. That hopefully when we get to the cross, you'll have come to the end of yourself. And not just with your mind, but with your will, decide, Jesus, I, I, I need you to free me. Secondarily, we would say here at RCC that our freedom to live is found in a next step relationship with Jesus. In Matthew 16, Jesus says, now this is coming from the message, it was like a paraphrase. Jesus says this, and Jesus went to work on his disciples. Anyone who tends to come with me has to let me lead. You're not in the driver's seat. What? Where's Mr. Rogers, Jesus? I am. So many people want a Savior, not a Lord. Don't run from suffering. Embrace it. It's tough, isn't it? It's tough to walk down the Via Dolorosa. Think about what happened to you in the last 12 to 36 months. It's it's tough to trust God in that walk, even though it's just a short walk outside of Jerusalem where he was crucified. Don't run from suffering. Embrace it. Follow me. I'll show you how. Listen, this is so important in our culture today. Self-help is no help at all. You are not your own God. You can't self-actualize. You can't have your own truth. There's a universal truth that God loves everybody. What happens is sin and religion get in the way. Self-sacrifice is the way, the way to find yourself, your true self. What kind of deal is it to get everything you want, but you lose yourself in the hustle? My paraphrase. What could you ever trade your soul for? You see, friends, in a next step relationship with Jesus, the journey is about the step and not the leap. It's not about leaping and hopping from one spiritual high to the next. It's about one step at a time, and it's giving Jesus permission to have exclusive rights to our soul. Thirdly, our freedom to live is confirmed in the resurrection. You see, in Acts 13, Paul says this, so profound, the people of Jerusalem and their rulers do not recognize Jesus. In other words, they don't pay, they know who he is, they're just not, they're disrespectful to him. Yet in condemning him, they fulfilled the words of the prophets. Even in their disobedience, they were obeying the Old Testament. They are, they, that uh, are read every Sabbath. Though they found no proper ground for a death sentence, they asked Pilate to have him executed. So they know that this guy is not guilty. 
But when they, had carried, uh, the, when they had carried out all that was written about him, the Old Testament, they took him down from the cross and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead, and for many days he was seen by those who... That's wild. He had seen by those who had traveled with him from Galilee to Jerusalem. They are now his witnesses to our people. Just because you go to the cross doesn't mean you're saved. There's a lot of whack jobs in the first century that wanted to have their own little re- cultish, rebellious group that once they had enough, um, enough critical mass, they would overthrow the Roman Empire. You've got to understand the Jews were frustrated. They were tired of being in chains. And they, and they thought Jesus' kingdom was about this physical, political reality where they would overthrow the Roman government. And it's not. It's about our sin. And it's about our freedom, which is why Paul says, peace and mercy to all who follow this rule, this relationship with Jesus, to the Israel of God. And even in, in John 8, 36, Jesus says, so if the Son has set you free, you will be free indeed. The resurrection was God's affirmation that if anybody follows my Son, this is an acceptable sacrifice. You will be forgiven. RCC is not going to be a church that allows people to wallow in their sin without coming alongside of them. RCC is not going to be a church where we're going to let self-righteous Pharisees just sit here and take up space and have no regard for people who do not have a relationship with Jesus. RCC is going to be a church that walks people in the tension of both. RCC is going to be a church that lives in freedom because Easter is a statement that we are called to live free.